direction, I think. All right, William uh, Pesek, you've got your homework for the next time you're on the show. Find us a female economist who could lead the bank. Indeed. Japan. Thank you very much for coming on the very first Money Talk of the year. That's William Pesek, a, uh, our Tokyo-based journalist and author. Domo arigato. Listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. All right, people, look at how is the year going. Uh, still looking like the Nikkei uh, is up, but the Kospi and Seoul and the Australian Stock Exchange are, are feeling a little bit down. But Bitcoin and Ethereum are trending up at the moment. Hong Kong Futures Index uh, predicting a minus 209 points, or about 1%. Something to keep an eye out for there. I want to thank my producer, Christy Lai, and our sound man, uh, Sung Wing Ming. Uh, coming up next, we want you to stay tuned for Danny Giddings hard charging on Bowen Road last night getting fit for the new year. He's going to be joined by Jenny Lamb on Backchat. Uh, tomorrow is uh, I'm out and James Ross is in. We're both subbing in for the man Peter Lewis. Looking at your weather for today, mainly cloudy, cool with one or two light rain patches, so you might need a small umbrella, but maybe some sun later in the day. Max temperature of around 19 degrees. Here at current temperature is 16 degrees Celsius, 70% humidity, and this is your first of the year Money Talk. The time is now 8.31 and the news with Todd Harding. A study has found that up to 26 billion pieces of microplastic, fragments of plastic shorter than 5 millimetres, are discharged into the ocean by sewage treatment facilities every day, seriously damaging the local marine ecosystem. City University says this occurs even after the treatment process removes most of the pollutants. The study found that storm drains are also discharging microplastics into the ocean. The university's professor Kenneth Leung says while the government should create treatment facilities to filter drain water, the public can also help. As we find that the dominant form of microplastic is microfibers associated with laundry. So I think everyone can do at home is by putting a filter system, simple laundry bed, at the end of the discharge pipe from the washing machine. Those can remove a lot of microplastic already before the water being discharged into this sewage system. Hong Kong Disneyland says it will hire 600 more frontline staff next month as the SAR opens its doors again to inbound travellers. The theme park has been in the red for seven years now and it's hoping the easing of social distancing measures will help bring the magic back in 2023. The theme park's managing director, Michael Moriarty, says the return of visitors is key for the park's profitability. We've won the hearts and minds of Hong Kongers and they're showing us by choosing us. Right. But the reality of this investment or this resort as an investment is that, you know, we need inbound tourism to resume and to be at historical levels. We really need that to have a return to profitability. Russia's Ministry of Defense says 63 of its soldiers were killed in an attack by Ukrainian forces. The strike took place on New Year's Eve. Igor Konoshenkov is the ministry spokesman. The Kyiv regime struck a Russian deployment point near Makivka with six rockets of the US-made HIMARS multiple launch rocket system. As a result, 63 Russian servicemen were killed. Relatives and friends of the deceased soldiers will be provided with all the necessary assistance and support. Ukraine's army says it's establishing how many occupying soldiers were killed. Earlier, it talked of about 400 dead. 
The Vatican says at least 65,000 people have filed past the body of the Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI on the first day of his lying in state at St Peter's Basilica. The former pontiff will be buried in the crypt on Thursday. The BBC's Bethany Bell reports. Kyrie eleison. Lord have mercy, the choir sang, as the body of former Pope Benedict was carried into St Peter's Basilica. The body was placed in front of the main altar, dressed in vestments of red and gold, with a crucifix in his hands. Benedict's secretary and household staff sat close by as prayers were said. The Italian president, Sergio Mattarella, was among those who came to pay their respects. And Brazilians have been saying farewell to the football legend Pelé in a 24-hour wake in the stadium of his former club Santos. His coffin was placed in the middle of the pitch at the Villa Belmiro Stadium for fans and dignitaries to pay their respects ahead of a private family burial later today. And that's the news from RTHK. Good morning, Happy New Year, and welcome to the first back chat of 2023. I'm Danny Gittings. Your guest presenter this morning is Jenny Lamb. Good morning, Jenny. Good morning. In today's back chat, we'll be looking at the further relaxation of COVID-19 rules in Hong Kong and the expected reopening of the border with the mainland this coming Sunday. The city's now dropped almost all COVID-19 restrictions. Gone are the mandatory on-arrival PCR tests, vaccine pass and quarantine requirements for close contacts, with only the mask-wearing mandates still in place for now. And the travel industry hopes the sector will rebound to 90% of pre-pandemic levels by late 2023. Chief Secretary Eric Chan said the government hopes to resume quarantine-free travel over the mainland on January the 8th, initially with a quota on the number of daily travellers. Entry mainland China is also easier. Starting on Sunday, travellers only need to present a negative PCR test result from the previous 48 hours at customs. So how ready are we to open up? And are you looking forward to the reopening of the border with the mainland? Let us know what you think. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call. The number there, 233 our guest for the uh, first segment of the show this morning, uh, we are welcoming to the studio here Mr. Hushek Hay, who's the Vice Chair of the Association for Hong Kong Catering Services Management Limited. And on the phone we have uh, Fanny Young. Fanny Young is the Executive Director of the Travel Industry Council. Uh, before we get started, maybe just bringing in a couple of uh, comments from uh, get our listeners already. Um, if you have any comments, you can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or leave a message on our Facebook page, backchat on rthk. RTHK Radio Free. Uh, Alonso, in an email saying RTHK diligently announces Hong Kong's official daily COVID cases, the numbers published by the government. What's the point of giving these figures? Everyone knows the true tally is a multiple of the official data. RTHK also makes a mockery of these numbers when in the same news broadcast, it quotes Hong Kong U virologist Jin Dong Yang, saying his team estimates up to 200,000 people are infected each day across the city. And on our Facebook page, a debate about masking. As we mentioned, of course, a compulsory masks is, is one of the few remaining COVID restrictions in Hong Kong. Marcus saying nothing will resume 90% of pre-pandemic levels while the dumb mask mandate is still enforced. Why would anyone want to visit a city stuck on 2020 with a risk of a $5,000 fine for not wearing a mask when it's nothing to do with health concerns and just everything to do with control? 
and Alan uh, responding also on our Facebook page saying uh, no one no one else seems to care as much about masks as, as you do in response to the first listener. Uh, Hong Kong people have been wearing masks when necessary since SARS 20 years ago because they reduce the risk of infection. This paranoia about control, there are many, way, there are many other issues of control uh, and uh, you shouldn't necessarily focus on this one. Thank you very much for those comments and please do keep them coming. And so Mr Hugh Shakey yeah. from the Association for Hong Kong Catering yeah. Services. Management uh -huh. Limited here, here in the studio. Mr. Hugh, is the catering industry ready for the border to reopen? Uh, I think we are all ready uh, since we have been uh, uh, preparing ourselves throughout the whole year uh, in Hong Kong because uh, we anticipated this, it will come anyway. Uh, but what we are encountering right now is the staff shortage. That's the main problem. Uh, with our uh, restaurant business. So, presumably, because the border are reopening, some of these staff are going to want to visit their families in the mainland, right? Yes, that's the main thing, uh, because uh, they haven't been visiting their, their, their family for three years. Uh, most are anticipating to go back, so that we will be, have a big challenge before the Chinese New Year. Yeah, so are you getting the bookings that you're expecting to see for Chinese New Year? I think for the past month, it's already getting a lot better a lot better. Most of the restaurants back to 70% of the business only on some of the vital areas like as I was saying last time in the TST, Causeway Bay, some of the smaller type of restaurants are not doing that well. Uh, I think we could tell by the influx of people during the Christmas time. It's actually not as good as previous anticipated. So, uh, so what are you going to do to address this staff shortage? Uh, I don't know. We, we're going to try to uh, work harder to find more people to to, to part-time or increase some pay and let's see how we could do that on, 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 on the individual basis. You're saying that uh, still some small restaurants uh, in, in Causeway Bay, East and Sachoy and so on, still mm. not, not doing so well. Why, why, why do you think that is? Has the pandemic changed people's ha habits? Um, it's totally. Like last night I was saying that uh, the people are like, leaving earlier spend a lot less at night time. Uh, I think even lunch they spend less. Uh, in the main office area and industrial area. Uh, I think mainly some of the old bigger restaurants are doing good because of uh, the traditional dim sum and, and banqueting. How about the switch to delivery services? I mean, of course, everyone started using uh, food delivery services during the pandemic. Um, could that be a permanent switch? People just order at home instead of going out to restaurants in future? I think the delivery at the first two years of the uh, pandemic, it was a, a good sign for some restaurant but I think uh, from now because we knew that they they're charging too much and I think uh, at the end the customer is losing out so that we are working on a, a separate basis where they come and collect and cheaper so on the line we have Fanny Young from the mm. Travel Industry Council Ms. Young how ready is the tourism sector for the reopening of the border well, um, I should say uh, we are not that ready yet because of, I think, also manpower resources. But, uh, of course, this is a very good news and that uh, which we had been wishing for the last three years. So we, we are still doing the, uh, I mean, all this preparation, especially on the manpower resources. So how short are you of manpower? Are you, are you talking about 10% shortage, 20% shortage? Well, that is far, far above that figure. So, well, uh, I, I, think, um, I think during the pandemic, the last three years. I think the shortage of, uh, I, I mean, the, uh, the leaving of staff from this industry is almost up to a 40 or 50 percent. So, um, of course, gradually since, um, since uh, I mean, the, the live away of, uh, of the Amber Coke, we, we have more um, 
I mean, more uh, staff coming back. But it is a, I should say, it is a very slow, slow pace. And um, I mean, even though um, I mean, with uh, I mean, even though with uh, without the Amber Code, then uh, we are already shortage of uh, manpower. And of course, right now with the um, I mean, mainland opening, then. We are expecting we we need more. Of course, we need much more than power. So so it will. I mean, the the problem will be even bigger. But the positive way, uh, the positive sign is that because um, right now with the reopening of the mainland boundaries, it means that uh, I mean our tourism sector is just really going into the path of um, recovery. So the confidence level is higher. So I think it is. Um, it is better for us, on the confidence level, better for us to do the recruitment than before. Yeah, um, about this manpower shortage, Ms. Ms. Young, you know, with, with the catering industry, I mean, people will continue, continue to eat, but they don't necessarily, if they travel, they don't necessarily come to Hong Kong. They can go to Japan, they can go to Thailand. So how are you going to plan this reopening? Well, uh, y- yes, it is true. But uh, again, uh, I mean, for, you, you know, prior to the pandemic, uh, the traffic, and in and out, I should inbound and outbound with mainland, it was almost uh, 80% of the total uh, visitors count. So so with the boundaries uh, reopening, I think it is the easiest for the mainland visitors to come to Hong Kong. So we have the edge because of our, I mean, geographical, uh, uh, I mean, locations, and then we, we are linked. So I we are, we are still confident we should have the visitors a lot coming, coming in from mainland. And are you thinking primarily of individual visitors or group tours? When, when the which which do you expect first, uh, individual? Well, um, I, I, well, first of all, we we won't expect. Uh, I, I mean, a surge in the visitors from mainland uh, during the initial period. Uh, well, maybe probably before the CNY, we we don't we won't expect that will be a lot. And the initial, uh, I mean, the first batch of the visitors should be the, um, I mean, the individual travellers. Because you know, for for adding, I mean, for organising the group tour, the tour group, we still need to have uh, more information to be to be known. For example, the quota, uh, or, and also which port, uh, so so will be will be will be free at the initial period. So we need to plan. Moreover, you know, um, for for mainland, I mean, their holidays on CNY is as long. So so I I just don't think we can we can have the tour group so soon. Uh, before CMY or in CMY, probably we expect around the mid of Feb that we should start to have the tour group. A lot of hotels, of course, uh, closed down uh, during COVID. I mean, some, some even uh, closed down permanently. I mean, they, they converted to other uses. Um, um, are, um, are hotels now making preparations to reopen? Will, will there be enough hotel rooms? Well, for the hotel room, we are not that worried. Uh, because after all, I think it is a gradual, uh, a gradual uh, increasing in, in investors as we have the quota things and then we, we also need our manpower resources to ramp up gradually. So so I think all these things will be ramped up, uh, I mean, by phases. Yeah, um, with, with the travel industry, you know, it, for the catering industry, you, to address the manpower shortage, you can just, you know, as, as Mr. Hu suggested, you can pay people more. But for the tourism sector, this is a little bit more tricky because you have to convince all those people who have left your industry that the tourism industry is actually going to pick out for them to come back. So what, what are you going to do to, to address this manpower shortage? What, what, how are you going to convince people to come back? Are you paying them more? What are you doing? Well, definitely we need to pay more. And then this is also the difficult part for our, I mean, for our, uh, I mean, all, all the management people, because, you know, in the last 
three years. We, I mean, they they have been investing money. They, they, it, it was a loss, right? So at this moment, then we can see that well, for confidence level, I think uh, it is rather obvious because of the relaxation measure. It of course it implies that the the recovery will become uh, is is on the way. But um, I mean, on the investment of the manpower, that is some difficult part. And um, well, we we really hope that the government can help us to 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 help the industry to give some subsidies or whatever things. Um, otherwise, it is difficult. We, you know, we have been waiting for three years. We cannot stop here. But uh, if we want to continue, move on. We have another uh, another sum of investment. Uh, that is a that is the challenging for us right now. Mr. Hu, yes. um, a manpower shortage aside, reopening the borders means you can also get the produce from the mainland much easier. Uh, I think the produce is okay because all this travel and uh, delivery and and the meat and the vegetable is 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 stabilized. But I think it's, uh, the the traveling industry will help us too if they are increased because that will be not just the tourists. It's about the business people which doing business in Hong Kong via Hong Kong to China and China to Hong Kong via to the world. I think we are a big link here. I think to increase to the full capacity of what our business was used to. I think this main cross link from Hong Kong to international will be a critical part for us. Um, you know, like the, like the travel industry, in the catering industry, many small restaurants closed down during COVID. Absolutely. Does you see a comeback on that? Uh, I think we have to see. I think people are uh, quite diligent. Because some, some invested about a year ago thinking that the, the recovery is back. But I think it, 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 it makes people are very wary to reinvest in smaller restaurants and medium-sized restaurants. So I think, I think they are testing and seeing after Chinese New Year, then they might be, uh, have, a, have, a, have a big surge in new restaurants if the, everything goes well. But isn't after Chinese New Year is normally a, a very difficult time for restaurants, isn't it? And you see um, some restaurants closing down. You, you think this year might be different, right? Uh, I think after the Christmas, I think we can't expect too much from this Chinese New Year at uh, the surge. I think we're looking at, at a much more longer basis uh, because they have to rebuild the restaurant to cater for the, 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 the new business to come. I think the investors are quite clever in, in, in seeing that. But you can't build a team in, if you're closed for three years. You can't build a team just in two or three months. You seem to be saying that the big restaurants, the big chain restaurants and so mm. on, they are the ones who, who look like they're in a strong position to do well. And it's the small, I mean, the huge numbers of small individual restaurants in Hong Kong. Those are the ones who are, who are struggling and will continue to struggle, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Booster, I think the, the, the bigger restaurants have some which close down as well. But I think uh, they have a much more cash flow uh, strength because of the, the history and uh, the, the big span of business. Some of the one which is in the estate, uh, then they're doing quite good and they can stabilize on the, on, on the two, two sectors. And Mr. Young, as, as Mr. Hugh uh, pointed out, you know, Hong Kong, we're, we're, we're sort of hub for people to travel in and out of the mainland and also, you know, obviously from other countries as well. What are some of your expectations of uh, visitors from people outside China? Well, I, I think, uh, of course, with this relaxation, it also helps. But um, during the, uh, I mean, the initial period, I think, um, or I should say in the, in the coming six months, uh, still we are aiming uh, for the short-haul market yet. Well, maybe, uh, but even for the short-haul market, for example, in Indonesia, they used to travel into Hong Kong for three days and then go to Macau or to, to, to mainland. So this is still a benefit for us, but, but we won't expect the, um, 
I mean, the long haul market, such as、uh, the Europe, US, or even Australia, to to come in so soon yet. Yeah, you, you remember that terrible story of a Thai tour group that came here and they weren't allowed to go to the restaurant, and then they ended up giving some <laughs> some gifts. So, how are you going to build the the confidence、um, for overseas visitors? I think in the last、uh, three years, the travel industry is, is we are already doing a lot of preparation. The good thing is that we also have new infrastructure、uh, built up during the last two、uh, two years as well. We have the Amplus Museum, we have the、uh, we have the Palace Museum. I mean, all、uh, all all this is is really、uh, new attractions, and the West Kowloon District is really now a. Uh, a well-developed and with beautiful scenery. I think all this is, is also adding adding credits to Hong Kong as a destination. And、uh, in, in also, um, you, you know, um, we together with the Hong Kong Tourism Board,、uh, since the beginning of this year, we we also、uh, trained a lot of tourist guides about the cultural and also the heritage kind of uh, uh, in-depth tour. So I think all this. All these items add in into a more in-depth tour, in-depth tour experience for our visitors, and this is something that we can count on. How about the comment from a, a, one of our listeners earlier saying that <clears throat> having the compulsory mask mandate in Hong Kong discourages、um, uh, foreign tourists from coming to Hong Kong?、Uh, do, do, do you think that's correct?、Uh, yes, I think it is correct, but、um, we are not that worried. As I mentioned, because during the、um, coming six months, we are expecting、uh, short-haul markets,、uh, for example, Thailand or, or Singapore. Well, we, even though when we when we went to Thailand, we see people is still wearing masks. So for Asian people, short-haul people, they are still okay for wearing masks, but not、uh, for the long-haul market、uh, countries, for example, Europe, US, or Australia. But by、uh, by the time that we attract、uh, these markets. Maybe the mask is not a mandatory anymore, so so we we can we can still wait a while. So for the catering industry, Mr. Hu, is mask wearing off putting? Yeah, I think we're all used to it already. But for the past three years, and also about the COVID before, I think、uh, Hong Kongers has always been ready for that and accept the mask、uh, as a cultural. Or the local scene and in, in the restaurant, they take off the mask while they eat, and then when they stand up, they put back the mask on. Yeah. So there's a report today by by、uh, somebody from Hong Kong U that the actual numbers of COVID cases in Hong Kong may be as many as two hundred thousand a day.、Mm. What kind of challenges does that pose for you? I mean, you know, some of your staff are going to become ill. I think this we have been. Challenging with this for the past year, <laughs> that we have we have to pay pay them anyway. So, I think、uh, let's see how this is uh, 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 gradually moving down as、uh, COVID become、uh, lesser of a become a local、uh, a flu or something. Let's let's see what that become something like that. Okay, we're discussing、uh, the reopening of the border with China and also the re- the re- relaxation, virtually ending of anti-COVID measures in Hong Kong.、Um, uh, you just heard、uh, Hu Shetkei, who is the vice chair of the Association for Hong Kong Catering Services Management Limited.、Uh, if you've got any thoughts on these topics, do email us at backchat@rthk.hk. That's backchat@rthk.hk. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free. Comment、uh, coming in from uh, David, uh, directed on. To the catering industry,、uh, saying, as far as I'm aware, you have 5,000 refugees in Hong Kong. Let them work instead of being a burden on the taxpayer. This will also keep salaries in restaurants lower, which will keep the cost of food in a restaurant lower. Instead, you pay a higher salaries, causing inflation and higher food costs. 
making the local person poorer. Hotels are overpriced and taking advantage of the situation. Thank you very much, David. Well, uh, Mr. Hugh, you probably <laughs> you're not, not not necessarily into the details of the refugee situation mm. in Hong Kong, but mm. you would welcome any any source of labour. Absolutely, imagine. absolutely. If the government allowed that, I, mean, I think it would be a great great help. Because the message we're hearing, isn't it, from the your industry and from the travel industry, just is the shortage of workers, basically. <laughs> Yeah. What, what kind of workers are you most short of? Are you, uh, waitresses, presumably, they are easier to replace than chefs. I mean, without the chefs, you have no catering. I think we have uh, shortened both, I think, uh, because some of the graduates are getting older, and some of the younger spectrum have moved out of Hong Kong, some, some of them. Uh, and uh, I think in every spectrum and type of food as well, the Western restaurant is harder to find more staff. So that's why you can see that a lot less Western restaurant, uh, uh, a lot less is closed down. For the past two years, uh, so I think it's a tough, tough, very so tough. So Western restaurants harder to find staff than Chinese restaurants. Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, why is that? Why? Because of the different cooking skills. The fact uh, you have to use more I think English. Maybe they expect to speak English. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so for all the listeners out there who are thinking maybe they'll join the the catering industry, you suggested maybe a, a wage increase will help. How many percent increase are you, are you thinking? Uh, do you mean uh, with the wages interest? Oh, about five to ten percent. And how hard have you been hit by <coughs> emigration? Because I mean, if you're a chef, a Chinese chef, you can go anywhere in the world, can't you? Uh, I mean, you know, uh, there's I always going to be work for you. Uh, I think the the cafe industry will tell you that is biggest hit by the cafe industry. That's what I'm saying. Uh, they they a lot of them closed down because some of them moved out of Hong Kong because at the age that that spectrum of age have been moved out quite a lot. So I think we we are quite diligent and and see how that could, could recover. And uh, Fanny Young, how about the effect of immigration on the uh, travel industry? I mean, people working in the travel industry, um, if they're dealing with international visitors, they tend to speak good English, so it may be easier for them to immigrate. How, how much of a problem is that? Well, I, I think for um, for travel industry, it may not be that easy to get the, I mean, the, the immigrants, because they, they need to, I, I mean, we cannot right away getting them. We still need to have a lot of training, sort of. So, so that takes time, may not be that easily to have that shift. Yeah, I mean the other way around, that you lose your staff because your staff decide to emigrate overseas. Is that a problem or not so much? Yes, that, that, yes that's, that's a definitely a problem. And, and also, I think when we're talking about the, uh, the job nature for I, I, the shortage of uh, uh, man, manpower, it may, uh, I mean, the most mostly heated is the coach driver because, you know, the coach driver... Um, in the last three years, most of them, they are quite, uh, I mean, come to the retirement age. And right now, after the pandemic, three years, maybe some of them, they, they retired already. So, so we had a problem to getting um, new, new people coming in, especially the coach drivers, that, that, that part. Will, will import labor from mainland China be uh, something that you wish to happen? For, for, for coach drivers, that is some, something uh, feasible. So uh, at least the training will not be that long, too. What, what about for the catering industry? Import labour? I think that will be the main, main goal for the government to release uh, for us, for main, the whole Hong Kong. I think Singapore has a good example where most drivers are from mainland China. I think we could look at that. Can you, can you give me a, a ballpark estimate of how many people are you hoping to bring in? 15%, maybe. 15%? 15%. And how, how many people are we thinking? Well, about 15,000. 
15,000 people. We've been talking about people coming into Hong Kong, but how worried, I mean, of course, it's the local market that's kept the catering industry going the last couple of years. How worried are you about the fact that uh, people going to Macau already and probably resume going to China over the weekend, that uh, a lot of your local customers will will go off to Macau or or Shenzhen and spend their money there instead of in local restaurants? Uh, I think this Chinese New Year will tell. I think uh, this is already, Christmas already done the same. Some, well, very high spender have left Hong Kong. Uh, I think uh, the coming Chinese New Year will be another a challenge for us. But some will leave to visit their family at, at China, or some would would do more business in China. They have to open up and go to China. I think this will be a big challenge for us. I think we can't say how much is the numbers, but definitely it will affect us. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, people go and visit their families in mainland China. They'll, they'll come back after a while, they'll come back about two or three weeks. Uh, this year is supposed to be a very auspicious year for weddings as well, right? Yes. So what are the wedding bookings look like? It's looking good. It's looking very good. Uh, I think uh, that's why I'm saying the bigger, the big Chinese restaurant, they're quite stable. Uh, but I think it's the biggest problem for them is the, the staff shortage. Yeah, weddings is a good point. There must be a lot of people who they, they don't want to get married during the pandemic when there are these restrictions on how many guests they can have. Yes. So there must be a lot of pent-up demand for weddings. Uh, for the last two months already, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so they're, they're queuing up, actually. So yeah. this is the same theme that you've been telling us since the beginning. The yeah. big restaurants are really in a much stronger position, aren't they, Absolutely. than the small restaurants? Absolutely. Yeah. What, what, what about what about in the in the travel industry, Miss um, Young? Uh, for for what co- kind of conversations are you having with travel agencies uh, in the mainland and overseas in order to get ready? Well, I, I think uh, we we are doing a lot of the uh, planning with the tourism board and also to make the marketing promotions to 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 attract our visitors coming in. Okay, into Hong I'm Kong. sorry, I, so sorry to cut you off so soon, but we are we are coming up to the news there, so we'll we'll, we'll just have to break off there, and we'll have to say thank you very much uh, uh, to Fanny Young, the executive director of the Travel Industry Council, and here in the studio, Hugh Sek Hay, the vice chair of the Association for Hong Kong Catering Services. Stay with us; we'll continue the discussion about the uh, reopening of the border and also the impact of the relaxation of um, anti-COVID measures after the news. Weather forecast, mainly cloudy, one or two light rain patches, but sunny intervals during the day. Temperature will rise to 19 degrees. It's currently 16 degrees. We'll be back in three minutes. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back to the first back chat of 2023. I'm Danny Gittings. Your guest presenter is Jenny Lamb. In the second half of the show, we continue our discussion about <clears throat> the latest developments relating to COVID and um, uh, the expected reopening of the border to, with China. The number of COVID cases, of course, um, falling slightly yesterday. It's now at uh, 19,683, uh, uh, but uh, there are reports, uh, uh, some, some, uh, some uh, microbiologists suggesting that the actual true number of cases in the community could be up to 10 times higher. Uh, Our guests in the second half of the show, we have Iris Chang, the president of the uh, Practicing Pharmacists Association of Hong Kong, and we hope to be joined shortly by Professor Ivan Hung, the co-convener of the Expert Committee on Clinical Event Assessment following COVID-19 immunisation. So, Iris Chang, um, today in the Ming Pao, they reported that most of the big pharmacies have sold out from for all, all the big brand names, fever reducers, your Panadol, your aspirin, whatever. How are we going to meet this demand? Well, basically, what we're seeing now is that there is a um, 
the tendency for consumers to do self-medication, uh, which is uh, making the, the big brands are being sold out across the city. So in actuality, actually a lot of people may not be needing uh, that kind of uh, medication, let's say paracetamol, for the cause of their COVID infection. So what we're seeing now is that uh, people may be using the uh, wrong type of medication to treat the wrong type of symptoms. So, so what we're recommending now is if the patient is uh, with COVID infection, uh, they should ask the pharmacist uh, to prescribe something that they actually need. So a lot of times we're seeing now from people calling in uh, with COVID infections that they're using paracetamol to treat cough, but that's not the, uh, that's not the right remedy. Yeah, but but uh, according to the Ming Pao, um, people are coming into these pharmacies. They're bu- buying four or five packets of, of of Panadol and sending them to their mainland relatives who are, who are very worried about the surge in cases. There. How? What are we going to do about this increased demand? Absolutely, because now we have to educate the consumer that actually there's more brands available uh, to help their people uh, relatives in the mainland uh, besides Panadol. Basically, there are many other brands uh, and many things that's behind the counter with the pharmacist uh, that we can dispense. So they don't have to go into a panic if they don't get that 10 boxes of Panadol. Of course, in the mainland, the shortage is not just of Panadol and Paracetamol. I mean, people are unable to get rapid tests and, um, and vitamin, even vitamin C tablets. Um, is there any danger that um, we could see shortages spreading to other medical uh, COVID-related products, especially people buying them in Hong Kong and, and when the border reopens, taking them across the border? Yeah, I think in the short term, if there's this sudden surge in demand, there will be definitely shortages in Hong Kong. Uh, the manufacturers are pumping up their manufacturing capacity and are trying to meet the demands. But you usually see this in, from time to time, and it's hard to expect that kind of surge all of a sudden. Yeah, I mean, last week when I was trying to buy, buy vitamin C tablets, even I mean, they are still available, but you would go to many pharmacies where they, they were, there was no stock now. Um, and it, are you, it, that you, is that the sort of thing you're experiencing among your members? Not really. We don't see that big of a shortage in terms of other products uh, besides Panadol, basically that big, big brand. Uh, the other products, actually, you can find if you uh, call our pharmacist hotline and we can deliver uh, medicines to you. We're able to get vitamin C um, without problem. Any other uh, the rapid test we can get without problem. I don't see that across the board. What about what about prices? So, so recently I had to buy some rat tests and I noticed that the prices are, are really going up now. You know, if, if you go to one of the big pharmacies, they're, they're $39 for one. Um, do you remember at one point that basically they were handing them out for free everywhere? So what about prices? Is there price control on, you know? Well, definitely there is no price control in Hong Kong. And uh, if you can shop more around or maybe ask the Farmers Association for help, uh, we can get you a reasonable price of RAT still. Yeah, are you are you increasing import from outside China of of rat tests and and you know fever reducers? Oh, absolutely. I think we're getting prepared and more prepared for a sudden surge in infections. Actually, when the borders open, uh, for even the the local Hong Kong residents, so we have to be prepared to have that uh, more stock in supply. Where, so definitely increasing the orders. Absolutely. Where where are these orders coming from? Which country are they coming from? 
Well, all across Asia, we have our manufacturers doing the RAT and different manufacturers for medications all across Asia. But of course, a lot of them are, are, are manufactured. I know there are other suppliers as well, but a lot of the, I mean, the rat tests we've been using, a lot of them supplied in, are manufactured in China. And if there's a shortage of uh, these products in China themselves, then it's, gonna, it's very difficult to imagine that they're going to be supplying the, these products to Hong Kong for a month or two to come. Well, absolutely, there will be a, a shorter um, shorter list of suppliers from China. But then a lot of the Chi- a lot of the Chinese man- uh, manufacturers uh, they do reserve some stock for external sale. So, so what is your advice? I mean, you, you, you know, for, you said don't panic buy. Uh, people are doing it anyway. And you said please talk to your pharmacist whether the fever reducer is the right thing to take. What advice do you have for the people who are panic buying for their relatives? Yeah, still, I would say ask the pharmacist or call the pharmacist hotline and uh, you can reach us and we'll give you a good recommendation and definitely you don't have to hop to shop to shop to find the medications because we deliver to your home. Okay, we're discussing uh, the uh, impact of uh, COVID and the lifting of COVID restrictions on, on Hong Kong. You just heard Iris Chang, the president of the uh, Practicing Pharmacists Association of Hong Kong. Also now joining us on the line is uh, Professor Ivan Hung, who's the co-convener of the Expert Committee on Clinical Event Assessment following COVID immunisation. Professor Hung, good morning. Uh, welcome back to Backchat. Uh, good morning to you all and Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Um, we, we're seeing quite a surge in uh, booking. I mean, there was a period when hardly anybody was getting uh, COVID uh, vaccinations, but uh, we've seen a real surge, haven't we, uh, over, over, over the last week or two, uh, actually getting quite difficult to make appointments in some cases. Yes, uh, we realise that. That probably is the impact of the recently uh, increasing number of new cases, uh, likely due to you know, the, the new subvariants uh, and also those who have not been infected in previous waves. So probably around two to three million people still haven't been infected uh, by COVID previously. Uh, so as a result, uh, I think there's an uh, increase in the booking of the uh, getting the new bivalent BioNTech vaccine uh, online. Uh, and that, of course, applies especially to those who are at high risk, including those uh, elderly, uh, those about the age of uh, 60, uh, and, of course, those who have, um, you know, uh, just had three doses of the vaccine and perhaps would like to, to travel and have not been infected before. Now, when the border reopens, uh, the mainland travellers, mainland visitors, they are allowed to come here to get um, a jab, a, a vaccine. How are you going to meet that demand? Well, I think, if, you know, if, if the border is opening up uh, and that, you know, um, people from the mainland are you know, considering uh, getting vaccination in Hong Kong, uh, as suggested by the government, uh, they would have to be a relatively long-term stay in Hong Kong uh, because, you know, if they are having a plan for a long-term stay in Hong Kong, then, of course, that will uh, impact the health system if they got infected. So uh, for those who are short-term travelers coming into Hong Kong, I think they will not be entitled to get the vaccine. If they are planning to stay for, a, you know, for four weeks or longer, uh, then they will be entitled uh, to, to get the vaccine. I think that is a very good way of, uh, you know, um, you know, sort of, uh, differentiating people who are 
planning for a long stay <coughs> to get the vaccine rather than a short stay just to get a vaccine and going back to to the main. Yep, but you, you, you're talking about tens of thousands of, of people who potentially want the vaccine. How are you going to um, increase your stock in order to uh, provide these vaccines? Well, the other way, of course, is that uh, not just by, you know, setting up that uh, having a criteria that they have to be a long-stay uh, travellers. The other one, of course, is set by the risk factors, meaning that if they are, uh, you know, above a certain age, for example, if they are above the age of 60, if they are, uh, you know, having documents suggesting they are uh, chronic patient, uh, you know, patient with chronic illnesses or, uh, you know, immunocompromised patients who are high risk of getting uh, COVID infection, severe COVID infection, then they could be uh, entitled to getting the vaccine rather than offering to everyone who is going coming down uh, from China. And That's, I think that would be a good way. This sounds very complicated in practice. You, you're saying you have to be over a certain age, you have to you know, sat, uh, satisfy certain criteria. Do you, do you expect that will impact on Hong Kong people wanting the vaccines? No, I think if, if, the, if you're a local resident, that shouldn't be a problem. If you are living in Hong Kong, you got an ID, then you basically are entitled to getting the vaccine according to the criteria set up by the CHP or the, you know, um, uh, and the Joint Scientific Committee. That means that if you are, you know, uh, elderly and uh, immunocompromised, then three months from your last previous infection or from your previous uh, vaccination, uh, and six months for the others who are healthy individuals. Um, and of course, for those who are coming in from mainland, then they would have to be fulfilling certain criteria because the, the stock simply would not be able to entertain uh, so many people coming down from mainland to get the vaccination. Now, of course, a lot of people in Hong Kong caught COVID basically last spring when we had the, f the first really huge wave shooting through Hong Kong, perhaps several million. So that's now nine months or so ago. What is your advice to people who caught COVID last spring in terms of um, whether they still have some immunity from that prior COVID infection or whether they really need to get another vaccination? Well, that, that very much depends on your health status and uh, whether you have already had three or four doses of the vaccine. If you have three or four doses of the vaccine plus an infection, uh, even from nine months ago, from the previous, like the fifth wave, uh, then you have certain immunity, or a very quite robust hybrid immunity. That means that they, you have a, uh, because the previous wave was predominantly Omicron BA2, uh, which of course, right now, the uh, one of the uh, circulating subvariants, the XBB, is also belongs to Omicron BA2. To, and also the BA2.75, also a subvariant of BA2. So you have a slightly higher or more robust hyperimmunity to the uh, to these subvariants. So you're so saying you up to nine a, months. Sorry, if you are a healthy individual, if you are you know below the age of 60, you don't have other risk factors. If you are belong to this group, then perhaps you could consider uh, you know uh, not getting the vaccine at all. Whereas for those who are you know, uh, in a high-risk group, if they're above the age of 60, if they're compromised, and they have had infection uh, more than, especially those more than six months ago, then they should definitely consider getting the booster vaccine with the bivalent vaccine. Yes, you now allow, don't you? You now allow people who've had COVID more than six months ago to have a fourth uh, vaccination. But what you seem to be saying is that 
even if you had COVID more than six months ago, it's not necessarily automatic that um, you should necessarily rush off and get a fourth vaccination. Is that right? Absolutely. If you are healthy individuals, if you are below, the, uh, you don't have those risk factors, uh, then you know you your likelihood is that your hyperimmunity will be quite robust. And then, uh, even if you get a an infection, it will be rather mild and asymptomatic. And then how about children? Because it's now nine months since you allow children to get their third vaccine dose. A lot of children, including my own children, got vaccine doses around then. So uh, those children have now gone nine months since their last vaccine dose. So in some of them will have caught COVID. But those who haven't, um, surely those who, who haven't caught COVID will, will, will be quite at risk by now. Uh, once again, I mean, for, for children, if you had two doses of the vaccine, uh, it seems that the... Uh, disease that you get the infection you're going to get is will be rather mild or asymptomatic so again for children uh they will be you know uh, they could be given the options of getting the booster but the problem right now is that there is no clinical trial all the clinical trials still ongoing for the bivalent vaccine for the for children for the young age group so we need to wait for those results to come out before we could offer this uh to children uh for as a booster you, so uh they, they would probably have to wait for, uh, you know, for a while before they would be considered getting the booster. Well, what sort of time frame are you thinking of that for that? Probably about, you know, two or three months that the, re the result will be, uh, will be coming out. But rather reassuring is that for children, if they have already had two doses of vaccine, even they have the infection, it will be rather mild. Hmm. Yeah, you, you know, uh, when the vaccines first became available, the, the well, not just the Hong Kong government, but all these experts around the world saying you, you need to achieve more than 70% in order to have herd, community, uh, uh, herd immunity. We have that now in Hong Kong. But in the mainland, um, the vaccination rates are far lower. So, you, we, so what are some... It, is it a risk for the people in the mainland when they travel back and forth that, that they'll bring in more cases in the mainland and therefore more and from new, the... new variants? Yes, new variants also. Well, first of all, um, unfortunately for COVID, we don't have herd immunity. Uh, the viruses, uh, the current vaccine, don't offer you a protection against, you know, a really robust in, uh, protection against infection uh, because of the uh, very low mucosal antibody generation. So what we have is something called hybrid immunity. That means that you have had, if you have a two or three doses of the vaccine, followed by an infection, uh, then it will give you a very robust mucosal protection. Uh, and that will prevent you from getting uh, uh, the transmission of, or preventing transmission and getting infection. So that's hybrid immunity. So for people in China, unfortunately, as you said, quite rightly, that they, the vaccination rates are rather low, especially for uh, elderly individuals. Uh, there are data suggesting that the uh, vaccination rate is probably around 30 to 40 percent uh, for the elderly uh, individuals in, in the mainland. So obviously, these are at-risk individuals who, if they travel uh, across the border to Hong Kong, uh, and if they have been infected, then they, there will be chance that they may develop uh, more severe disease. Uh, you know, when they arrive in Hong Kong, that that will be the case. What about the efficacy? Uh, so the, yeah, sorry. The way to the way to, uh, but but one thing quite reassuring, of course, is that in Hong Kong, by itself, we had a very robust hybrid immunity. So even if these people come into Hong Kong, they would not cause a, a massive surge of cases uh, because they come into Hong Kong, because simply we have a very robust hybrid immunity. The second thing is that um, I think we, 
we would suggest uh, for the government to consider, of course, is that uh, the same for other overseas travellers if they want to, uh, you know, come to Hong Kong, then they would need to have at least two doses of vaccination uh, with documentation uh, at least uh, two weeks before arrival in Hong Kong. So that will be in line with other travellers from overseas. Uh, and that will ho- hopefully offer some kind of, you know, immunity and and, and prevent people, develop, you know, uh, at high risk of developing severe disease in coming into Hong Kong. So, so you think it's it would be reasonable to, to have mainland visitors prove that they've been vaccinated at least twice um, before coming in? Yes, uh, that, that will be one of the ways uh, to, you know, reduce the, the risk of, uh, mainland travellers coming to Hong Kong, developing severe disease. And how about uh, requiring yeah. PCR tests for mainland travellers, which at the moment we require them from overseas visitors, but not from mainland visitors? No, no, no. So currently, we don't re, uh, we don't need PCR testing uh, for. Oh, for sorry, we require travel. RAT tests for overseas visitors, but we don't require anything yes, from mainland. You are supposed to do an RAT test uh, within forty eight hours from the travel. Uh, and and then of course you you should report that so that will be the same as overseas uh, okay. travelers, uh, but again PCR testing is not needed anymore. Uh, more important, however, is not the PCR testing or the RIT. Is rather you had a documentation of having two doses of vaccine, uh, you know, uh, at least fourteen days uh, before you travel before your arrival in Hong Kong. I think that will be very important. Okay, let me bring in a comment from a listener. Uh, David says, as a parent in Hong Kong, I don't want to deal with RAT tests going up in price to send my kids to school. This will make millions of Hong Kong families much poorer. This is a situation where the government should step in for Hong Kong people. Uh, Let's go back to uh, Iris Chang, uh, president of the Practicing Pharmacists Association of Hong Kong. Iris Chang, I think you were saying earlier on that actually uh, the supply of RAT tests is is basically stable. We have noticed some price increases in them. Yeah, correct. There are some price increases, but I don't see that much of a shortage at this moment. But in a situation where it's still um, families have to buy, I mean, if you've got two kids, you have to buy 10 every week, don't you? I mean, uh, even a small price increase can have quite an effect on a family, can't it? Yeah, I agree totally. I think the government should have subsidy for those parents uh, and families that need to use the RIT in a mandatory fashion. Uh, to help them out with the with the cash flow. And how how valuable do you think actually the daily RAT test requirement is? I mean, is it something else that could be abandoned? Well, at this moment in time, we were quite reluctant to abandon that because we would like to catch uh, the infected persons early uh, early on and then have them treated and isolated so that they don't spread it around. So, in our, my personal opinion, we can keep it for now, but definitely needs to help. Uh, the families also with the, uh, financial, financially. OK, we've got a question coming in for Ivan Hung. I, Ivan Hung, the co-convener of the Expert Committee on Clinical Event Assessment following COVID Im- immunisation. Uh, 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 Leon says, uh, please ask Ivan Hung, my elderly mother had four shots of biotech, BioNTech. The last one was in the end of August. She then had COVID in early September. She's planning to travel on a cruise in early February should she take a fifth shot before she travels? So she had COVID in early um, September. Um, uh, Dr. Hung? Yes, my, um, well, my, my personal advice is um, because uh, this uh, lady already had uh, four doses of the vaccine plus a recent infection in September. So as I've said, the hyperimmunity will be very robust and she has already had so-called the fifth dose, which is the infection by itself. So uh, she will not need 
further vaccination uh, as such. Uh, in fact, uh, she would not be entitled to get in the vaccine as well because uh, she already has like the fifth dose. So, uh, but not to worry because, as I said, she's uh, very robust hyperimmunity, uh, and they will give her a, a, a very good protection even if she's travelling on a cruise. Yeah, why are you so strict about that? I mean, there are reports of people being turned away from clinics and quite unhappy that they, they've had COVID less than six months ago, but they want to travel overseas or for whatever reason, they, they want to have another booster. And surely there's not any medical reason to prevent them having another booster if they've had COVID less than six months ago. You're, you're, you're saying it may not be, um, may not necess- actually be necessary, but uh, they, I mean, the, the, there's presumably no medical reason why they couldn't have it. Have it. medical, um, you know, uh, adversary that will, you know, uh, if you get your, your, your booster uh, three months apart from your infection. But it's simply not needed, scientifically, it's not needed to get the, uh, the, the booster uh, because she already had or he already have a recent infection giving her, him or her, a very good hyperimmunity. Uh-huh. So that, that is scientifically not, not needed. I understand it's not needed, but why do you actually prevent? Uh, do you, why do you actually prevent people who want to, to want to choose that? Do you, you make it impossible for them to do so. Well, I think the priority should be given to those who are, you know, at high risk that already had the infection maybe six months ago, uh, and those who are immunocompromised that already had three doses of the vaccine rather than, you know, than, uh, than having the fourth dose. So that's the reason why uh, we prioritise. Uh, subjects who are at high risk to get the vaccine. How about people in that situation who want to get another booster? Can they go to private clinics? Do private clinics have to follow the same rule? Are they bound by the same rules as um, uh, the ones who... Yes, they are bound by the same rules. Yeah, I want to ask you, Mr. Hong, about the efficacies of the vaccines. Do you remember at one point, you know, the government was saying if you had Sinovac for the first jab, it might be a good idea to follow up with the mRNA. Um, you know, the, 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 the combination is, is the best. Now, we have a population from the mainland who obviously most of them will have had Sinovac. Is there is a is a difference in efficacy a, a, a problem in terms of, you know, even if they have vaccination, the protection might be quite different? Well, if, uh, as proven by uh, the studies, uh, you know, uh, published by the School of Public Health at the University of Hong Kong, um, basically the study have proven, uh, you know, uh, very clearly that if you had three shots of the Sinovac vaccine, uh, for all age group, you have a very good clinical protection or effectiveness. Uh, against severe disease and death uh, of more than 98%, which is similar to getting three shots of BioNTech. Uh, of course, the antibody generated will be not as good as the BioNTech mRNA vaccine, uh, or the pre- prevention against mild disease will not be as good. Uh, but the clinical protection, if you have three doses, will be just as good uh, as the uh, mRNA vaccine. So uh, important is for the main end, uh, uh, people to get, you know, at least two doses, but preferably three doses. So, then, so could you, could you, you know, clarify the, the that? Can you clarify Sorry? that? The antibodies level are not as high, but the clinical protection is just as good. Can you yes. can you elaborate on that a little bit? What do you mean? Yes, there are two different things. One is the immunogenicity. One is the clinical effectiveness or protection uh, with the vaccine. So the clinical effectiveness is that if you have been vaccinated after the three doses and you're exposed to the virus, what are the chances that you are getting, you will be getting the infection? On the other hand, is that the immunogenicity is the antibody that we tested in the lab. For example,
IgG or the neutralized antibody against the virus, uh, then the antibody titer is definitely much higher with the BioNTech vaccine. Uh, however, the protection uh, with three doses of the Sinovac, the inactivated vaccine, is just as good uh, as ha having three doses of the mRNA vaccine. Okay. And that is a, a real-life study, uh, uh, a real-time study, uh, published by our school of public health. And let me bring in another comment from our listener on vaccination. Uh, Kim on our Facebook page, back chat on RTHK Radio Free, says in order for our children to resume full day school, Hong Kong insisted on a minimum vaccination rate of free vaccines of 70%. Hong Kong pretty much forced parents to vaccinate their children. It was ridiculous, unfair and irresponsible that visitors from the mainland were allowed to enter Hong Kong without being vaccinated prior to the expected opening of the border. Allowing this to continue when borders fully open is the most idiotic decision the Hong Kong government could make. Catching COVID is one thing, but allowing unvaccinated, unprotected visitors in, especially during the current time of surging uh, cases, is irresponsible, inconsiderate, and idiotic, greedy, and political. How would this affect public hospitals and supplies and medication and so on? Uh, just, just briefly, uh, Professor Hung, I think you're already saying that you, you think uh, mainland visitors should, going forward, be required to be vaccinated before they can visit Hong Kong, right? Yes, I, I fully agree. Uh, that, you know, um, for mainland travellers, they should be at least two doses vaccinated. Uh, they should be the same, on the same par uh, as, as other overseas travellers coming to Hong Kong. Okay, thank you very much indeed. Uh, that's all we've got time for today. You, you, ju you just heard uh, Professor Ivan Hung, the uh, co-convener of the Expert Committee on Clinical Events Assessments following COVID-19 immunisation. And also our thanks in the second half of the show to Iris Chang, uh, the uh, president of the uh, Practicing Pharmacist Association of Hong Kong. Thank you very much to guest presenter Jenny Lam and of course our hardworking uh, producer Yuki. Uh, the uh, weather forecast is going to be uh, cool with one or two light rain patches in the morning. Uh, but the maximum temperature is going to rise to 19 degrees. It's currently 17 degrees. We'll be back tomorrow. I'm Dr. Eminem. The pandemic is surging with more contagious mutant strains. The elderly are at the highest risk if a new wave comes. Scientific data shows that those with stable health can receive COVID-19 vaccines. Take your elderly relatives to get the jab at community vaccination centers, designated general outpatient clinics, elderly health centers, private clinics, or hospital COVID-19 vaccination stations, or opt for the home vaccination service. The News with Todd Harding. Executive Councillor and Barrister Ronnie Tong says local law should be amended to clearly spell out the procedure needed to hire overseas lawyers for national security cases. He was speaking after Beijing issued an interpretation last week saying the courts need approval from the Chief Executive or from the National Security Council Committee before allowing overseas lawyers on such cases. A City University study has found that up to 26 billion pieces of microplastic, fragments of plastic shorter than 5 millimetres, are discharged